I'm your host, Grayson Brulte. Welcome to another episode of SAE Tomorrow Today, a show about emerging technology and trends in mobility with leaders and innovators who make it all happen. On today's episode, we're absolutely honored to be joined by Alex Chi, Chief Executive Officer of PontoSense. On today's episode, we'll discuss the opportunities for sensors in the automotive and smart home markets. We hope you enjoy this episode. Alex, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Grayson. How's it going today? I'm happy to have you here because sensors are the future. Personally, I think what you're building is really cool and it's going to play a vital role in society, especially as we all get older, because we're all going to get old at some point. Not me. No? All right. So you'll be the superhero. <laughs> you'll outlive us all. You'll figure out the anti-aging. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to kick things off, what is PontoSense? You know, we're an uh, we're engineering-focused company focused on um, building wireless sensors. I and mean, it's our belief that, you know, sensors or medical great accurate sensors should not be a wearable. It should not be, you know, always a camera and, you know, those type of devices. It should be something that you can achieve, you know, good data and good results ambiently as well. So PondoSense is really focused on the mission of saving lives, prolonging health and enhancing lives through the use of wireless sensing technologies. Why make a medical grade sensor? You have a lot of sensors that don't meet that standard. Why did you decide to go for a medical grade standard? Medical grade accuracy, so comparable with you know medical devices. I think if the sensor is not accurate, it's basically like a mood ring. Right? Like you're not really getting the. I could. I mean, I can tell you what your heart rate is without medical grade accuracy, right? It really depends on you know what objective you're trying to achieve with this type of technology. And there's a few out there that I'm sure we'll go into today. But but really, I think you know we're not aiming for a medical sensor. That's a very different topic. We're aiming for something that performs at a, at a very high level and something that's going to give you very, very good data. So what would be an example of, of a use case there? Would it be used in the automotive market? Would it be used in the smart home market? What's an example of, of how a sensor would be used? Yeah, so, you know, we internally have three tenants for kind of the use case conundrum. So the first thing is that it should be a, a pretty big and growing market, right? It's something that I think a lot of people are, are touched by Ideally, the second thing is something that doesn't really have an industry that doesn't really have substitutes. Because I think, you know, Grayson, I mean, I feel like this, but if you can use a camera, you'll use a camera. If you can use a wearable, you use a wearable, right? People are used to these habits, they don't want to change them. So it should be an industry where you don't really have another choice. And then the third way we're really viewing it is something that has a lot of urgency. So it's also good to have something in five years or 10 years, but it's better if, you know, there's some sort of regulation that makes things urgent for um, for companies and customers. So the use case for automotive is really around a few different ones. Like the first thing that we're looking at is really detecting kids left in hot cars. It's a very popular topic. We are the first to go into mass production. We are right now the only ones that's still in mass production for this type of devices in, in vehicles. But looking forward, you know, you're really measuring, you know, the driver and passenger vitals to understand more about their physical behaviors. So for example, are they drowsy? Are they going under a certain number of stress? Is there alcohol detected? Is there motion sickness detected? Those are all really important use cases, especially when the car's autonomous, right? How do you tell a, a driverless car to slow down if you're not feeling too well? So those are different things that you know we, we look at within the automotive industry. The detecting kids in cars is really important. We go into the summer and unfortunately this year, NHTSA will release data about the children that have perished in a hot car, and it's really, truly sad, and it's, it, it's a crime. 
when you detect when your sensor detects children in a car or let's say a dog for example as well because there's those incidents as well can the auto manufacturer have it turn on the air conditioner or do or to give some sort of air so that child unfortunately does not pass away yeah that that's a big one and i think you know they can they can do that they can also um roll down the windows that's another popular one uh they can honk the horn or maybe raise the alarm but there is like a state system application usually attached to those type of use cases. And it's a really unfortunate thing, right? In the US, we're looking at on average a child a week that passes away from being left accidentally in the hot car, or at least, you know, we hope accidentally in a hot car. Uh, around the world is probably many kids a day, you know, that 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 pass away, unfortunately. So, you know, your NCAP, you know, your NCAP, American NCAP, China NCAP, all have these regulations coming out in the next couple of years that's gonna stipulate to have a five-star rating, you have to have this feature. So. That's something that's on top of you know OEM's minds. It's something that's on top of tier one's minds, and we're hoping to help them get to that stage. The bottom line is, you should do it because it's good business, not because the regulatories are doing it. It's just it's good business, and from an economic standpoint, it becomes a selling point to the individual to buy the vehicle. How many sensors do you have to put it in the vehicle to do occupant detection? Do you have to strategically place them throughout the vehicle, or how does that work? In most cases, it's one per vehicle. For larger vehicles or, you know, special edge cases, you may look look at two. But for most vehicles, you're, one's enough. And I think you, you bring up a good point, Grace, and I think it's about business at the end of the day, right? And OEMs and car companies, they really care about money. So I think another thing that we're looking at and we're thinking about is if you deploy the sensor, can you save some money? Like where can you save money in the car? Where can you replace certain things? So like weight sensors, for example, right? Or... Uh, maybe that front seat occupancy classification sensor for airbags, you can save that as well. So, you know, given the cost of our device or our sensor module and how much we can save, we can actually, you know, car companies can actually save money by deploying our product, which is something that's a little bit crazy to think about, but we, we believe it to be true. Before we get into the autonomous side of the house, the, the human-driven vehicle today, you, you can talk about detecting vitals of the, of the individual's drowsy or are under the influence. Is there a way that you can tie that to insurance? Hey, look, I don't drive when I'm drowsy. I don't drive when I'm stressed out. Or that they can somehow translate to an insurance savings? That is a loaded question. <laughs> it's a very good question. I think the story is going to be, it's going to be dependent on probably the insurance and OEM level. There's a few different questions baked in there. Number one is where is this whole industry going with insurance? Right. If you ask like the big insurance companies, the thing they're most worried about is that insurance is pivoting towards OEMs. Like Tesla will have their own insurance and other companies will have their own insurance as well. So you may not get your insurance from like Allstate. You may get it from somebody else in the future. So that's going to change things. And number two is going to be like exactly like you said, which is by understanding your driving habits, am I able to understand you better as, you know, as an owner of the car, right? The telematics piece is really critical. Right now, all they know is, Probably your gender, your income, where you live, those type of things, right? But they're not going to know, you know, that, that you're constantly stressed and you suffer through road rage when you're driving a vehicle, right? But they'll do that. They'll have that data accessible in, in the future and just how they use it. And the third piece is obviously that privacy piece, right? People don't really enjoy necessarily getting their, their vitals read. But, you know, it's something that I think if they're saving money and it's going towards a more safe and you know, life-saving environment, then I think that makes a lot of sense going forward for these car companies, insurance companies. When you look at the insurance, Tesla can properly price the risk because they're getting all the driving data. 
and they can and then they can backstop that with a reinsurer or, or partner with a class one insurer because they're they're getting all that data. The vehicles are spitting off more and more data, which can help properly price the risk. And the other big trend that's evolving in insurance now is liability. If you're going to ride an autonomous vehicle, God bless the insurance company. They're going to figure out a way to insure it. Oh, we'll sell you a, we'll sell you a liability. And if you leave your laptop there, don't worry, that's insured. We'll we'll, we'll replace it if you pay X dollars. Per feet. What I think is really neat about your device, so let's just a hypothetical, we're in an SAE level f f four vehicle, f fully driverless, and I'm starting not to feel well, I'm getting woozy, could pass out, could not pass out. Can the sensor step in in a situation and say, okay, the, the occupant in the vehicle, something's not right. Perhaps we reroute it to a hospital over in the case that that individual is having a, a heart attack or some sort of medical emergency. Notify the, the hospital, hey, in, inbound patient, something's not right to save a life. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I wouldn't say that we're going to step in and do anything because that's a lot of risk that, that we wouldn't take on necessarily as, as Ponto sense. But your car, absolutely, that's what we're looking at, right? I, I think it's not even like life-threatening injuries. I think that's probably what we classify as like a class three emergency. Like, let's just say you're not feeling well. Like you're just, you know, you're, you're working on your laptop, you're reading a book or something in the car, you're just getting some motion sickness. And instead of that car like weaving in and out of traffic and going crazy, and maybe it prioritizes a slower lane, but a more stable lane for you to drive on, hoping to ease some of those concerns. So there's a lot of like benefits for the driver and the passenger you know, without the need to to go into such an emergency thing. I think that carries a lot of risk. It's just that you're not having a heart attack and you're just like, you came back from the gym, you're feeling pretty good, your heart rate is elevated, right? Um, and, mis, mis, you know, misdiagnoses you and instead of taking you to like Jamba Juice, straight to the hospital, right? No one wants that. So so I would say probably um, getting good data, like we, we said at the onset is, you know, getting medical grade accurate data and then, you know, allowing the car to then make a decision or allow at least allow you to prompt the car to make a decision to, you know, where to go next. Yeah, because I think about that, if that individual is unfortunately having a heart attack and, and somebody comes on, an operator comes on in the car and says, hello, passenger, are you okay? No response. And they go through whatever the, it's called the approved handbook is. And then they make that decision. Okay, after three, three times, reroute it. That's interesting because if you look at the data, the amount of individuals that have a medical condition that either crash into a bicyclist or, or, or get into a crash, it's rather scarily high that that happens. And this is a potential solution to to save lives and, and save a lot of money from an, an economic disaster standpoint. Is one of the main selling points of Ponto Sense to the OEMs and, and the tier ones safety? Absolutely. I think, you know, as a society, I think that's everybody's number one priority. If you can save lives, that's probably the most the most value you can provide for for the world, right? I think that's at the apex. But I would say, just to jump onto that, Grayson, I think there's probably a few other things that OEMs would would you know would use us for as well. Um, safety will be probably up there, number one. I I'll put it, and then number two, number three, number four. Things like, you know, how to monetize better, how to do car as a service better. Like, do I know who is in the car, right, when they're using it? Um, maybe someone took your zip car card and swiped it in a different vehicle. Do they know that it's you, right? Or can they provide additional services in the vehicle to make your experience better? And those are all things that car companies are looking into in the next few years. And, you know, this, this trend's coming. The car's going to look very different in, you know, five, six years than it does today. Do you view it almost as let's just this is an analogy of Apple's 
face ID where it becomes a, a verification layer says, hello, Alex, welcome to car. And it, and it verifies you and in, in I'm going to use the term unlocks the car, but unlocks the phone essentially. Yeah, I think that's that's one of the things. I would say there's probably better technologies to do that. Going back to that whole substitute thing, I think cameras will do a much better job of doing that than radar would. But radar does provide you with some additional features that maybe you know unlocking the car wouldn't be the strictly piece that I would go to. But things like, for example, understanding your stress levels and, and things like that, or at least knowing like, okay, someone that's you know uh, six foot one you know, male that's, you know, potentially this weight is under the vehicle. Like we always, we, we almost consider like private identification rather than for sure pinpointing that it's you. We think it's you and that's enough for you to enter the car. And that's kind of what we're looking into. Cause I think we're all about privacy. We're all about that, that level of, can we use this to understand, you know, in a broad view, who you are and, you know, why you've gotten access to this vehicle. That makes sense because consumers are tired of being recorded, both audio and video, on a daily basis. And you're seeing some pushback there in Congress on it. From a technical standpoint, how does your technology work? It's a great question. So, you know, we use millimeter wave, more specifically the 60 gigahertz frequency. So in terms of kind of RF and radar, what we're doing is, you know, we're balancing, you know, radio waves off your body and we're receiving that. And at the same time, hundreds of times per second, bouncing it off, receiving it, bouncing off, receiving it. I almost think of it. I just watched this movie the other night, so it's kind of fresh my mind. It's almost like Predator. You know how the Predator can sense like it can't it can't see anything, <laughs> yes. right? But but it knows like your heat level. It kind of kind of see your heart beating and those type of things. That's what it is. It's not like a camera based or image based technology, but it's fine to tuned to a sense that we can really understand micro movements as small as your heart beating through your chest. So much like, you know, bats and dolphins use sonar or sound, we use millimeter wave to get that image, essentially. So in short, that's what we do. That's how we can maintain a lot of the privacy associated with the individual, but at the same time, understand a lot more about your, your health and, you know, in general, who you are as a person. So what if I get in the car, I cover myself in mud as, as Arnold did in the uh, Predator movie? <laughs> Can you can you can you see me? <laughs> yeah, he covered himself in mud when he had the predator. It's a, we've never tested that use case, but we can't penetrate. We can't penetrate metal, humans, or water, and those type of things. So anything that's like fabric or clothing, or we, we can go through those things like, like no big deal. So unless the mud's covering literally every single inch of your body, I would say that you're still moving. <laughs> And I would actually say, you know, depending on the composition of the mud, I mean, I don't want to go into the chemistry of mud here, but probably depending on kind of how uh, <laughs> how that, that mud's con, you know, constructed, there might be ways for us to measure that as well. Yeah, I, I think in, in short, you know, you would probably be able to see somebody covered in mud in, in a vehicle. Well, that's a good thing. If they're coming back from burning, man. Your system's going to work. So that's a, <laughs> that's a very good thing. I was thing, told not man. to use a predator analogy, I think, but that's how I see the world. So <laughs> I think... I like it. Yeah. It was a it was a good movie. We had Jesse Ventura in there. Went on to become governor of Minnesota. <laughs> yeah. So and we're still talking about that movie today. Where's the data stored? Is it stored on the edge in the vehicle? Is it is it uploading to the cloud or, or where where's the data flowing off of your sensors? It's all computed on the edge. 
I think that's a really important thing to distinguish here. You heard all these horror stories about Tesla's getting lost in the wild and, and no coverage and kind of, you know, getting stuck there a little bit. The, the data has to be computed on the edge, mostly for response time, costs, and also um, even things like privacy. So the data is all on the edge. The data is that fed to the vehicle. So a lot of what we do is, you know, we are the eyes slash stethoscope for the vehicle itself. So they make their decisions, right? They have their own paths and we make sure that we can give them the data. There's a lot of things now, you know, legally speaking around data ownership, data storage. Um, that's one thing where, you know, car companies never had to deal with that before, right? If you look back a few years, you buy a car, it doesn't like capture all these things about you, but that's gonna be happening in the next few years about how to, you know, legislate around data ownership and data storage. But we compute everything on the edge and we make sure that we work with the OEMs to ensure that, you know, no data is leaked or, or lost in that process. And what type of power, as society shifts towards electric vehicles, power concern becomes a very big issue. Are you able to com compute this at low power on the edge? Yeah, yeah. 10 milliwatts or so, it's, it's extremely low power. Someone asked me the other day what 10 milliwatt looks like, and I, I told them that if you take a 40-watt light bulb, um, it's, you know, one, my math's going to be bad here. One four thousands of, of that power requirement. The main thing for electrical vehicle on the power side is actually going to be the heating. That's going to be the main switch, right? Because I think how how they do heating now is like you take the engine heat and they kind of radiate that through the through the vehicle. But our power requirement is extremely low, so I wouldn't say low enough. They can leave this like in a parking lot and, and run it for like a month. They can run it for like a week without any big issues. You're not going to have an impact on range. That's the the bottom line. No, no, not at all. Not at all. No, we're gonna we're gonna fit right in that in that mindset. Actually, a lot of the OEMs that we work with are EVs, because EVs they they tend to adopt faster, they can produce faster, their SOP cycles faster. So you know, a lot of our customers that we are in market with today are all electrical vehicles, and we do have some other OEMs that are more traditional that'll be launching a little bit later. When you're in the market with your your OEM customers. Is the sensor hidden into the design of the vehicle? Does it have to be exposed to work? How does that look for me? Uh, I'm I'm a driver. I'm a passenger. Do I just see this big sensor, or or is it hidden? What is it? What does it look like? <laughs> you put it so you put it so elegantly. No, you don't want to see like a big sensor protruding, <laughs> aim aim right at you. <laughs> I'd be worried the predator's it's, coming. <laughs> It's hidden in like the overhead console. You, um, there's that's one location. So you know where you put your sunglasses, like up top. Yeah, it's it's sometimes placed there. It's placed sometimes the headliner, but it's always behind some sort of like plastic or or cloth or some sort of covering. It's built into the vehicle itself. We work directly with OEMs, but but yeah, I would be. I mean, I'm I'm personally like very you know neurotic about being you know filmed or. Were recorded, so I definitely don't want to have that there. We're we're like a state system device, so basically you can think of it as almost like an airbag. Like it's something that's built into the, you know, built into the vehicle's core. So it's definitely part of the vehicle composition. It's it's hidden in the end. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. Listen, you're you're creating value. You're doing good, and you're not being intrusive to the overall design, which I think is a, is a win win. So you're you're in the automotive market. You're doing great things. You have OEM relationships in that market. Another market you're focused on is the smart home market. Why? I just think if you think about a sensor that measures people's vitals 
or I would say micro movements wirelessly. I wouldn't think cars as my first market, right? But the reason why we started with that, and that's why, you know, the reason why we're also a big player in that is because it just has this urgent use case around, you know, children left in hot cars and also autonomous vehicles and those other things. But if you really think about where this is going to do a lot of good in the world, it's really going to be in that home space, right? And and again, going back to the non-replacement portion of things, like if you think about where accidents happen in the home, you know, whether it's, you know, there's four main danger zones kind of thing. It's kitchen, stairs, bathroom, bedroom. Well, you can have cameras in the stairs and kitchen, but I think normal, you know, sane people probably would not have cameras in bedrooms and bathrooms, right? There's probably a few jokes you can insert in there that I won't go into. But it'd be odd if you did. Maybe you're in a different industry if you read between <laughs> yeah. the lines on that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but definitely, I, I think you know people wouldn't have that. So if you don't have that, right? If you don't have cameras. How do you detect someone that's fell down in a bathroom, for example? Like, what are the possibilities, right? You maybe have like this floor sensor where literally the entire floor is like, you know, weight sensor activated. That could be extreme case of doing it, but that's really expensive. You probably can't have infrared, right? So, you know, there's something called Wi-Fi motion that's debuting, but I think, you know, jury's still out on kind of how and if that ever, you know, does things like fall detection. But I do think that this, sensor what we're doing now we can definitely do like a room level room level accuracy and based on what you said Grayson, everybody's getting older you know and one day you know we're all going to need to to live either in our own homes or or you know nursing homes and we got to be safe right so this is something that can keep people safe and save a bunch of lives and have a very impactful story out there is this also going into Nursing homes, retirement homes, or are you focused on the age-in-place policies that are starting to pop up? Japan, for example, is a country with a, a large age-in-place population. Absolutely. Yeah, we're working with a few different partners to, to make that happen. But personally speaking, I'm more for aging in place because I do think that's where the market's going. I think people generally want to live in their own homes if they could. They've been living there for like 10, 20 years. They probably don't want to spend the, the twilight of their years um, living in you know, a, a random place. But I do think that there is a need for, for nursing homes. I don't think that model will go away because it's just that some people require more care and those around them don't have that, you know, don't have that option. So, you know, in Japan, for example, we do see a combination of both. There is a trend towards, you know, people that maybe have like son and grandson and granddaughter that can help them a little bit in their daily life. And those people may want to live by themselves, then if you don't have that support network, maybe you do need to work or live rather in a, in a retirement home. So we are good in both markets. But I would say that trend-wise is generally going towards aging in place. And what does it connect to? You know, the, the clap or help, I, f- I fell down, that went to a call center. You have various different devices, either through your security companies that go to a call center. What are your sensors connected? Does it connect to a, a, a loved one, for example, that, that regularly checks in on that individual? Or what's that point to notify somebody, hey, grandma fell down? Yeah, so so this particular product is launching early next year. But to give you kind of a summary of what that looks like, for the retirement homes, it's going to go towards like a switchboard, right? Much like, you know, if you live in a retirement home now and you need help, you may press a button. So that alerts, you know, the nursing station that this part of the room has an issue. It'll do the same thing, but it might do that automatically if it detects something going on. And the aging in place side of things, it will be kind of an app monitor, you know, loved one support 
but also as well as, you know, if things go and push us towards something more severe, then you will, you know, either target towards the call center and the local, you know, ISP, or it may in extreme places go directly to some sort of, you know, rapid SOS type of, you know, emergency services. Do you also see this being used in potential security applications? Let's say you have multiple homes and you're not at home. There's not supposed to be anybody in there. You get an alert, hey, there, there's somebody in your home. I wouldn't say that's the best use case for what we do. That's like a great Wi-Fi motion thing, right? Because just someone's moving my house that shouldn't be moving. That's like a perfect Wi-Fi motion use case because it's a whole home coverage. We're more around like um, a room level coverage. So um, in terms of like presence and, and those type of things, we're looking around 10 meters, you know, 30 feet or so, which is like a normal room size, right? I mean, if you really think about it, a room is just like a big car instead of maybe less people in the room but than a car. But generally, you're looking at confined space with a finite number of people. That's what we do. So in terms of security, I would personally go with cameras. You know, we were sharing a story earlier about uh, someone that you knew that, that, that you know, went with cameras. I think cameras would be a great choice for that. Wi-Fi motion would be a great choice for that. Infrared would be a great choice for that. There's a lot of inexpensive tools to to, to leverage out there. What was the inspiration behind Ponto Sense? Did you have an aha moment? Did, did you build something? Because the fact that you're getting the vitals and you're getting all this data, to me, is very interesting. And it seems like there, there's something more to than just, hey, I'm going to build this. Yeah, I mean, this is where, you know, that engineering focus background really came into play. I think we had to have two ingredients. The first is the capability to do this. And the second thing is probably the the spark to do this, which is kind of what you're alluding to. I think from a capability side, I think, you know, the founding team has 500 patents. It's most my co-founder, to be honest. He has 500. It's like me saying that, you know, Michael Jordan and myself have six championships. <laughs> but yeah, no, he's, he's, he's you know, one of the, the, the leading engineers in the world. I think, you know, he's, he's really good at doing this. So we've always had the capability to do this, which is unique to us. But in terms of Spark, I think there's a lot of cases where we see out there in the world. I remember going to CES with him. This was before the pandemic. So this was like 2019, I want to say, 2020. We just walked on the floor. We're going to check on different things. And we saw a lot of technologies around saving lives and around, you know, elderly care and mo care. And we thought it was kind of cool. There's a lot of these patches you can wear as well and things like that. Just kind of like interesting things, right? But then we got to thinking, it was like, what's a use case for that? You got to like wake up and put a patch on. Like, unless you're a smoker, there's probably not a lot of like, you know, you know, pre, pre-embedded, you know, muscle memory for putting patches on every day. So we walked around and we we're like, okay, there's a lot, there's got to be a better way to do this. So then we got to the drawing board. We thought about how big is this industry? What's the market size look like? And what's going to be the application for? We really came out with, you know, wireless sensing. This was like, 2020. And then we, you know, incorporated the company in 2021 and, you know, off to the races. But it really, be, it really kind of came to fruition when we we're looking at these things, we're like, there's got to be a better way, right? There's got to be a better way than to, than to wear a pendant if you're an elderly, like wear a pendant around your neck for like days or, you know, months. I just don't feel like that's the best way to go forward. So it came out of our engineering capability mixed with Kind of where we saw an inefficiency in the market. Yeah, there's a big. You, you described a big inefficiency. There's this, this Nicorette gum. You got to put the patch on. You, you, this muscle memory, but to having to wear this thing is cumbersome. You, you forget. Oh, she, grandma didn't put it around her neck today, and we had a problem. And so you, you're you're solving that issue, and you're making it easier. So you're you you have the car market today. You have the 
quote-unquote smart home market, what market's next for your sensors? I feel like those are pretty big markets, Grayson. <laughs> but, but going forward, I, I do think there's going to be a lot of you know, opportunities to expand to markets where we see a need to understand more about human behavior. I think one of the coolest things that we've been able to do at PontoSense is vitals isn't that useful for an individual. Like if I tell you what your heart rate is right now, Cool. It's a number to you, right? It doesn't really mean that much. But what's more important is really understanding, you know, based on those vitals, am I able to understand more about you, right? Are you under a lot of stress? Are you feeling anxiety? Are you feeling relaxed? Are you, you know, experiencing, you know, motion sickness and those type of things? So there could be a lot of like, you know, therapeutic, you know, use cases around something like this going forward where we're really allowing you as an individual to understand more about your, you know, mental state and more about your, you know, physiological health. And those are extremely interesting markets for us to pursue. I was, this was like a few months ago, but I was at a dinner with a friend, you know, and kind of, you know, he was pitching like, this could be like a guided meditation thing right? <laughs> where, hey, you know, Grayson, I noticed that you're feeling a lot of stress right now. We got to lower that down to a certain number. Let's go do some deep breathing exercises. And after like five minutes, it's like, okay, we've gone down halfway. Let's let's do another halfway here. And, and it could be a lot of those type of things where it really allows you to understand more about your, your own health and, and those type of things. And we can see this going into personal devices. We can see this going into like um, consumable devices. Anything that that allows you to understand more about this. Office furniture shares, for example, that was like a crazy use case that one company pitched us where they were like, I'm hosting a meeting. I want to know who's paying attention to this meeting. Right. So I have the sensor measure concentration and, and those type of things. So I can know exactly who's like on board with that. My, my initial thought was like, interesting use case. Now we've got to talk about privacy concerns, but, but interesting use case, nevertheless. So those are a lot of those things where going forward, you can have those type of things be unlocked by this type of technology. Sneaky, 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 sneaky. Think about that in negotiation. You, you know who's into it and who's not into it. And then you know who, if you're getting the data in real time, you know who to target and break to win the negotiation. It gives you a competitive advantage at the end of the day. Yeah, there's a lot of those type of things, right? I think that's where, you know, as an organization, one of the things that, you know, we are looking into is how do we vertically integrate and allow, you know, other companies out there to leverage and use our sensors and our technology. I don't think that we would, you know, single-handedly, you know, put our fingers into every single industry out there. But hey, you're making office share and your, you know, steel case, you know, you can leverage this type of device for your own engineering team. So a lot of what we're working on now and kind of what we're expanding to the next, you know, 12 to 18 months is going to be how do we, you know, package up our strengths? How do we package up these advantages on innovation that we have and allow other companies to then develop more on top of that. And that's a really big, you know, step on the business side that we have going forward. On the business side, is the end goal to be a licensor where you'll license to steel case, or do you want to actually manufacture and sell the sensor to those companies? We do manufacture now, but I would say the long-term goal is to probably do a mix of both. I think manufacturing is such a headache. <laughs> I think, like, it's not easy. I, I think if you make one sensor, it's easy. Or you make 10 sensors, it's easy. But to make, like, 15,000 or something a month, it's, it's a lot harder. 
So I would say probably it's a mix of both. Right now, our, our manufacturing capacity goes up to half a million modules every month. So that's our peak right now that we can do. Uh, obviously, we're not at that peak yet. So I would say it's probably a mix of both. And I, I think if you ask anybody in the organization, I think licensing would be a great opportunity, right? Especially you can allow these larger companies who have huge scale to be able to capture more of that profit as well. That's the nice thing to have. So we'd love to, to do that. And if they don't have that manufacturing capability themselves, we'd love to do it for them as well. So I think we're open to both ways. When you're open to both ways, it's going to, the, the path of the least resistance will open itself up one day. That's going to allow you to scale. Because if you're just purely licensing this and you're focusing on it with your, your colleague and co-founder with 500 plus patents, he can become the mad scientist and build stuff up all day. And then you can become the mad licensor and you've got a heck of a business with with not a lot of headaches of dealing with global manufacturing and supply chains. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it just depends on the customer, right? So a lot of OEMs probably wouldn't license. They'd rather you produce it and just ship them the sensor, right? They even you know prefer that you ship the, the casing or the integration piece that goes along with that sensor. They prefer you ship them the whole thing. So it depends on the customer. And a lot of tier ones, they rather produce it themselves because there's a higher margin for them from a pure dollar standpoint there. So they rather do that. So there's, it depends on who you're working with. And I think to your point, Grayson, if you're flexible, it's always easier in the long run. Yeah, and then it allows you to to build a great business. What, what we do know is that sensors are coming. They're gonna be pretty, they're almost in everything. They're gonna be in more things. You describe chairs, perhaps they'll be in kitchens and know, okay, is the chef stressed out? Is he not gonna use this knife properly? We don't know, they're gonna be everywhere. It's at some point, Alex, in your opinion, what does the future of sensors look like? Is there any interesting new technology that you see emerging, interesting use cases you see emerging? What is that future going to look like? Well, one big thing that's on everybody's mind now is going to be um, collecting different use cases and building these multi-use sensors. So ideally, a sensor doesn't just do one thing. It's able to do many different things. So that multi-use approach is really, really critical going forward. I think, you know, there are some automotive executives who's come out and said, hey, I want to reduce the number of sensors in my vehicles by two-thirds, right? And they're not just trying to save money. It's not just like them thinking that this is a cost, purely cost-based measure, but it's also the flexibility of having, you know, more applications built onto this foundation. So I think... When you think about sensors going forward, I think there's actually consolidation of sensors. There's there's gonna be a lot less single-use sensors out there. So that you know, that patch or whatever it is, it's it better do some other magic tricks along the way as well. I think that's kind of where things are going to. So in the smart home, for example, right? It's not just about fault detection, it's maybe gonna be a little bit about health, it's gonna be about tracking your movements, it's gonna be about hey. Knowing kind of who you are, maybe you enter into a room, they know it's Grayson and they know Grayson likes a room cold and, you know, your partner likes a room hot. And depending on who it is, we can adjust the temperature in the room as well. There's going to be a lot of those type of multi-use for sensors moving forward. So that's a huge innovation. And the other one is obviously going to be going wireless ambient. If you can go wireless, go wireless. Like I think there's a reason why we don't have landlines anymore, right? So, <laughs> so, so that's a big thing. I think for for sensors is that consolidation use cases. The consolidation will be interesting interesting to watch. I agree with you with the multi use sensors. We're seeing that in refrigeration and energy, especially as it relates to grocery stores trying to to save money on their energy. And consolidations 
is coming to sensors. It's it's coming to autonomy and, and it's coming to a variety of industries, especially as we go into a potential economic downturn. Alex, as we look to wrap up this insightful conversation, what would you like our listeners to take away with them today? I, I think, you know, what we wanted to really communicate, I think, you know, we, we touched on this, Grayson, a little bit as well, is really kind of where this, this in, these industries are going. There's a lot of possibilities out there. And I think the trends that are happening today with, you know, generative AI and those things, they've been cooking for the past, you know, four or five years. I think what we're doing now with, with sensing solutions, even though we have deployment now, we're in market now, this is something where, you know, the world's going to be very different in, in four or five years from today. And these sensors are going to be a, a big part of that story. And I think the listeners, obviously, they're they're all going to be very smart about this. They're all always going to know about this. But it's also a process to figure things out. I think anybody that says they know everything about this market and, you know, all the potential risks is, is, is for sure bluffing. Um, there's a lot of things that we don't know yet. Like, for example, how the data privacy laws are going to come into play. And, you know, we have our own viewpoints. But at the end of the day, it's it's you got to save lives, you've got to protect people. And if you can do those things, then you have something good on your hands. I think that's, that's our mantra, you know, through and through. You're and you're doing good. That's the most important part. You're, you're doing good for society. You said it so elegantly, the, this, the possibility for sensors is endless. You can go from sports fitness training, to saving lives in cars, to, to saving grandma's life at a home, to making lowering your refrigeration bill the, the possibility for sensors is endless today is tomorrow tomorrow is today the future is ponto sense alex thank you so much for coming on se tomorrow today thank you grayson and uh, it was nice talking to thank you for listening to se tomorrow today if you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more please kindly rate review and let us know what topics you'd like for us to explore next be sure to join us next week for another episode of sae tomorrow today when I'm joined by Dr. Rodney McGee, chairman of the newly formed SAEJ 3400 NACS Task Force, and Christian Teeley, director, Global Ground Vehicle Standards, SA International. They'll discuss the evolution of industry standards in the electric vehicle sector. SAE International makes no representations as to the accuracy of the information presented in this podcast. The information and opinions are for general information only. SAE International does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast.